Hey everyone, and uh, welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Uh, this week has been kind of a hectic one for Andrew and myself. He was uh, over at uh, at Kona for the better part of the week, doing the Kona thing. And for me, here was a very long weekend with the uh, the Canadian Thanksgiving with uh, family and uh, kids. So today we're going to bring you a rebroadcast of one of our very early episodes on drafting, and. Um, I love this this episode because while it is a little bit on the wonkish side uh, for all of you aerodynamics nerds, you will uh, most likely enjoy that. But it really does offer a very, very practical way to save time in racing, I believe, uh, for the, the segment of the triathlon population that is stronger on the bike than they are in the water. So um, there is a real advantage to be gained from um, legally drafting while passing in that scenario. Uh, but I'm not going to spoil the, the case study or the, the numbers that Andrew and I throw at you. Have a listen. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Today's show will cover an introduction and a little bit of a deep dive in the into the issue of drafting in cycling. Yeah, and just a a quick point on the introduction. Um, so I noted there that uh, now part of Four Eyes. So um, very exciting news from our end that uh, Stack has actually been acquired by another Canadian company. So we're very proud to keep the Canadian theme running strong. But uh, we are actually in the process of moving across the country, um, 3,000 odd kilometers to Alberta. So we're leaving our Ontario roots and going to be picking up in Western Canada where the altitude is a little bit higher, but the mountains are near and the cycling is uh, hopefully excellent. That's a, a super exciting news, Andrew. And uh, for those of our listeners who may not be super familiar with uh, 4i, because they sometimes do fly a little bit in the background, can you uh, tell them a little bit about what that what that company does? Yeah, absolutely. So Four Eyes is, um, they first came to my attention actually through DC Rainmaker and uh, it was just their power meter was being reviewed, I think for the first time. And the the power meters is uh, the main part of the business that they've really focused on, but it's mostly small electronics. So uh, power meters and heart rate monitors are the main products that they're selling. Um, but actually now that we've gotten a bit of a, um, a I guess, a, a peek behind the scenes um, in a voyeuristic, voyeuristic sense, uh, we've we've learned that there's a lot going on there. So it's a really cool company to be part of. And it's one that we're, we're very excited about this acquisition and what we can hopefully bring to the table for them. Um, but we've got some really neat technology that we're working on for the future. I can't say a whole lot more than that, but uh, stay tuned for exciting things. That's awesome. That's a that's a great way to tease it out, and uh, I think I can think of no better platform to uh, share exciting things on the technology front than uh, than this podcast. Absolutely. 
So uh, let's jump into the topic today, um, drafting. And uh, for those, uh, you know, anyone who's been in triathlon for any any amount of time probably has a good understanding of what it is and what it means to the sport. But uh, just to bring everybody up to speed, Andrew, what's the, you know, what is drafting in uh, not not a uh, kind of a university level <laughs> mechanical engineering explanation and uh, why it's relevant to, in this case, bicycle racing? So drafting in general is basically trying to take advantage of someone else's um, splitting of the air in front of you, someone else pushing the air ahead, uh, or rather dragging it along with them. And when when someone does that ahead of you, you're now, if you're following them, you're now traveling in uh, an area where the, the actual impact of drag is lower. So you're cutting out that drag force that you have to overcome, which means you can now ride faster or... Um, you can, for the same speed, you can actually save quite a bit of power. And this is quite often seen with um, uh, pro cyclists where they the pelotons form. And it's something that naturally happens. Um, and even in some Ironman events, uh, there's one in particular last year that I can think of where uh, they, even though it's not allowed, um, just because of the dynamics of it, if there's a big group going along, um, they will overtake you because if t- people are taking poles on the front, it's so much more efficient as a large group. And um, and this happened at Ironman Texas, and it was a very right. notorious event. Uh, and because triathletes are not great bike handlers in general, there were a few accidents. Uh, TT bikes don't make it any easier, but also triathletes, the fact that uh, we tend to be a little bit introverted sometimes, or at least uh, not overly social with training. Um, you're not used to those group rides where you're riding wheel to wheel, and uh, you get a whole bunch of people who aren't comfortable with a large peloton forming, uh, and then accidents are bound to happen. So um, so you do see that, but with pro riders, um, I'm amazed with how close they can stay and how comfortable they seem to be, but that's what they do. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, you see it all the time in sport, but, uh, it also takes place in the natural world as well. Um, and birds are a great example. So even though it's not necessarily drafting per se, um, a formation of birds flying in a V is an excellent example of taking advantage of some of the aerodynamic properties and, and reducing the drag on yourself um, at the expense of who's leading. Um, so it's really neat to see all over the world, really. For sure. Oh, that's a great intro. Um, and then so some, let's talk about some of the elements that would uh, – uh, that would con- that would change the effect of drafting. So things like uh, speed, how fast you're going, how fast the person in front of you is going, um, also the size of uh, of the rider, as well as as well as um, some of the, some of the implications to triathlon specifically. And by that I mean there are different rules in depending on which race you're doing. Uh, that govern the allowed distance that you can follow a rider in front of you. So the two that jump to mind is, I think, um, <clears throat> recently uh, Ironman and ITU, the International Triathlon Union, have standardized the drafting distance in e- draft illegal races at 12 meters. Uh, but I know there are races that keep that distance at 20 meters. So can you talk a little bit about the, the impact of the following distance and the the speed and rider size? So there's lots of questions there. Uh, I'll try to <laughs> try to tick them all off. Hopefully I remember everything. But uh, so first of all, the physics of drafting, uh, like I said before, you're, you're basically as a lead rider, you're pulling the air along with you, you're accelerating it. So now the person following you doesn't have to push as much air or pull as much air along with them. So it reduces their effort. Um, 
what's really interesting when you get into fluid dynamics is that so many fluids actually scale. So the the actual velocity is not as critical as people would think. And it's not like your wake gets bigger when you increase your speed. There are a few oh, things that happen you know, in between, but in general, um, a wake, once you hit a certain velocity, will stay pretty much the same length. Um, you just get things that happen differently inside the wake. Like there's something called vortex shedding where you essentially get this side-to-side -side washing of the, the air just because of instabilities in the, um, in the wake itself. And that frequency changes, but the wake generally stays uh, constant length. And it's actually, it's pretty well established for some objects. Um, but this, this means that if you're drafting someone going 30 kilometers an hour versus 50 kilometers an hour, if you're following at the same distance, um, you can get the same proportional gain in, in draft. Um, and the reason huh. I say proportional is because if you're at 20 meters, you're not going to get a 20 watt benefit at uh, 10 kilometers an hour um, versus 50 kilometers an hour. You're, you know, it's going to be much different wattage that you get uh, in terms of benefit, but um, it, it still will be in effect. It just might not be noticeable for everyone. So there's, there's some interesting physics that go on there. So what about comparing the, the two common drafting distance? I mean, well, 12 meters is overwhelmingly the, the standard, but uh, if you compare 12 meters to the, the 20 meters that uh, we are seeing in some races, um, is there a noticeable difference between the benefit of drafting between 12 meters and 20 meters? And another way of putting that question, is 12 meters enough of a gap to eliminate the benefits of drafting? That's probably a better way to put it. Uh, simple answer would be no. <laughs> okay. There's, so, uh, I like simple answers. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's, uh, it depends a lot on, you know, the size of the athlete that you're following and so on and so sure. forth. But um, you could see anywhere from like a five to 8% improvement in drag if you actually manage to, to catch the wake of someone leading at 12 meters. And that drops to around oh, wow. okay. two to 3%. Um, which is starting to get into pretty diminishing returns at 20 meters. The right. other thing that makes it um, much more difficult to actually draft at 20 meters is if you have any kind of crosswind at all, you're essentially changing the angle of this wake. So if you can imagine riding into wind where it feels like the wind's coming at 45 degrees, uh, it's, I think, pretty logical that the the wake will actually be coming off you at around 45 degrees. So if you're following straight back, but someone's wake is going off to the side, you're not actually benefiting from drafting. You need to be in that wake. Um, the further distance, the smaller the crosswind it takes to essentially blow that wake across the road. So if you're following Got at it. 20 meters, it's, it's a very small crosswind that it takes, uh, which means that drafting essentially becomes impossible unless you're in indoor conditions, basically. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting how that happens and you, you see it, uh, very frequently in the pro Peloton with, um, with grand tours where if there's a big crosswind in a stage, you get these echelons forming that essentially go the width of the road. And it's actually used strategically because you can now, if you've got your wake, that's essentially disappearing off into the gravel, no one can draft you. So you're almost closing the door behind yourself. Um, and this is why teams get split up in big crosswinds, even though everyone's trying to draft together, you essentially have to go. And you're you're leading your own little uh, mini group now, um, even though you might only be two or three meters behind the person in front of you, um, and that's just the impact of crosswinds. Um, so when you're when you're looking at draft legal or not the opposite of draft legal draft illegal races, um, 
the the 12 meters you do get the five to eight percent benefit in really calm days you can definitely feel it like if you know what you're looking for you can feel the little fluttering on your hands and where the weight is starting to have an impact but um with 20 meters it's it's virtually impossible to get any kind of draft um but especially for pros when the drag is such a high proportion of what they're pushing out of the way um that 12 meter distance i think can often be problematic and that's why you see pros in groups like uh, kona is a good example where you get five or six pros all drafting at roughly the the 10 to 12 meter range uh, because they are benefiting from that and it's making it easier for them right uh you hit on something that we maybe should have covered a little bit earlier but um Obviously, the the cost of aerodynamic drag scales with your speed, and it's some it's a cubic relationship, right? It's a power of three relationship. Yep, that's right. Is that right? Yeah. So then, for, for so basically, the upshot is that the faster you go, the harder you have to work by a lot. So the gains at you know the gains of drafting at higher relatively higher speeds on the bike are much much higher than relatively lower, which you sort of talked about earlier. But yep. the the point of that is that. Even something that's uh, you know a five percent, five percent reduction in power when you're holding three hundred watts adds up to quite a bit. Um, if you're you know if you're doing a if you're one of the if you're at the pointy end of that spear doing a shorter race, and it's actually one of the reasons that even though people have um, very similar uh, speeds, their their power output can be quite different because you essentially hit this aerodynamic wall. Um, and the cubic relationship is completely to blame for that. So a great example that puts things in perspective for people, if you're a fairly strong rider and you can do 300 watts and going thir- or 40 kilometers an hour, um, that that's something that a lot of people can do. Like there's, um, you know, I wish I could do that for an hour. I'm close, but <laughs> not quite. Um, but if you want to double your speed, um, the cubic relationship uh, basically makes it so that you now, instead of 300 watts, you're doubling your speed, uh, which actually means eight times as much power is required just for aerodynamic drag. So the 300 required goes to 2,400 watts required to go 80 kilometers an hour, um, which is, I mean, some people put that out in sprints. <laughs> some people, not many. Only on the track, I think. I think yeah. you, you'd, you'd be looking at track athletes. And anything north of 2,000 watts is pretty super rare. Yeah, absolutely. And I did a calculation at one point, and I forget the exact numbers, but um, to do, I think 3000 watts was the the benchmark I put down. And it was an average, an average pedal force of 130 kilograms um, at 130 RPM. So, <laughs> so anyone's ever squatted before? Yeah. And that's per leg. Per leg. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's insane forces. Um, so there's a reason that sprinters occasionally break their bikes because they're, they're actually pushing down with almost twice their body weight, uh, just yeah, trying to push the pedals at 130 um, RPM. So it's like, it's like a 260 kilo squat happening incredibly yeah. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I can't do that. So no, pretty much. <laughs> let's impossible. just put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So there's, uh, this, you can take this conversation into kind of a couple of really interesting corollaries. And this is sort of where, where I get as a coach or, and as a participant get super interested in this. And that is, um, for instance, in draft legal races, which are becoming more and more popular in short course, if you're a strong swimmer, um, you actually end up in a pretty good position because if you're coming out early out of the water, you get to ride with the the fast kids up front. And if you're maybe not as strong of a cyclist as you are a swimmer, you could uh, you could benefit by 
drafting these people legally, right, in a draft legal race, um, and and do quite well. Um, whereas a the inverse case, uh, you know, a, a person who is not a great swimmer and maybe a strong cyclist is at a serious disadvantage in a draft legal race coming out of the water, maybe <clears throat> with the not with the lead pack because they they get very hard to catch. They're all, they are all in an ideal situation working together, drafting off each other. So then trying to catch that pack after a slow swim is uh, is certainly no picnic. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, you see that quite often with tactics in the ITU races, like there, you have to be a fast swimmer there. If you're slow coming out of the water, you're done. There's, you just get pulled away from, um, because you, as one person, you can't keep up with a Peloton of these faster riders because it's just, they work together and they're averaging much higher than any individual FTP. Um, For sure. and I say averaging like the person in front, uh, and that will change over time, but that's essentially what's pulling along the entire group. So it's like riding at 350 Watts for an hour when your FTP is 300 Watts, um, which is something you can't do, but as a group you can do. Totally. Because you're basically doing an interval workout. You're doing, you know, you're doing well above threshold when you're pulling the pack. And then when you get to sit in on somebody's wheel, you're well below threshold. Right. So there's, it's almost like, yeah, you exactly. know, it's like a, it's like an over under workout if you've, if you've ever done those. Uh, still, still a lot of work, but not nearly as hard as trying to sit at you know above FTP for any any extended duration, trying to bridge that gap. Um, and of course, the the people at the front are trying to actively to not let anybody catch them too. So, yeah, easy. So, <laughs> learn how to swim is the the general takeaway if you're doing ITU or draft legal races. One hundred percent. And then the the other case is if in a draft illegal race, which is most uh, most triathlons and certainly everything that's long course. Um, it's the it, it's almost the inverse case, and this is kind of this is kind of cute, and it sort of came about. I started thinking about this because I started noticing that my um, my speed to power ratio in races is significantly better than anything that I've ever tested in the field by myself. So here's what I mean: um, for the for a given power uh, that I'm holding on the bike with the same setup, I go faster in a race than I would if I'm just doing a time trial by myself. This made me. This didn't make a ton of sense to me, but then I started thinking about it, and I asked Andrew if uh, any of this had to do with the fact that because I'm, uh, let's say, an average swimmer, but a better than average cyclist, when I'm coming out of the water, I end up passing a lot of people. So the only legal way to draft in a draft illegal race is when you're making a pass. You have, you know, typically around 20 seconds to. Um, to clear the, the the drafting zone, let's say the 12 meter zone. So you, from the time you enter 12 meters, that zone 12 meters behind that cyclist in front of you, you have 20 seconds to complete the pass. And completing the pass usually means your front wheel is now ahead of the front wheel of the the person you were passing. So because you know I come out of the water not with the fast kids, but then I end up passing a lot of them. Um, I was wondering if that little bit of drafting that I do over and over and over again has enough of a cumulative effect to make a, a you know, a, a measurable difference by the end of the race. And especially in long course, you know, if you're 90 kilometer or 180 kilometer on the bike, you can end up passing quite a few folks. So I asked Andrew to do some math and uh, I'm going to put him on the spot now to, uh, to give us those numbers. Yeah. So fortunately, I'm not doing the math off the top of my head because that um, that would not be a pretty sight. But uh, I went through this and it's some really interesting results. So I took a fairly typical rider um, just for easy figuring. Um, the, the exact details are uh, 0.215 CDA. 
which is around the level that Cody Beals is, uh, which is pretty aerodynamic. Um, and that gives you... Yeah, that's a very fast position. Just just for, for, for folks following at home, 0.215 <laughs> is not your, not your average triathlon position. Yep. Uh, so definitely quick. Uh, 240 watts to go 40 kilometers an hour. So that's, that's pretty solid. Um, so... And I just picked it so that it was 40 kilometers an hour was our reference speed. So 240 watts, that's sure. that's a power that a lot of people can do. It's not easy, but it's not that hard. Um, so when you're passing, uh, generally speaking, you have 15 to 20 seconds and you don't want to dilly-dally out the back or else you might get a drafting penalty. Um, but uh, you have to put in a bit of an effort to get through the drafting zone that quickly. So I said, okay, what if we were to take a, a following distance of 20 meters and you were doing an effort of 380 watts until you got to the front wheel of someone and then you were to continue essentially at your overspeed amount um, because you have to be going faster to pass. So, uh, And then you back down to your normal power, which was the 240, uh, and then just kind of coast until you get back to your steady state speed. Not, not coast, but just back to your normal pedaling power. So if you were to do that, it would take around, uh, I think it was 17 or 18 seconds to complete the pass at 380 watts, um, launching from 20 meters back. And compared to a rider just going 40 kilometers an hour, you would save, uh, you would essentially move up the road 46 meters from that person. Uh, and cool. you would save 4.14 seconds per per event that this happens on your overall time but you're also putting in a pretty big effort like 380 watts for 20 seconds like that that can add up over time so it's it will have a physiological impact but it does make you faster for sure so then just just a couple i'm, gonna, I'm sorry for interrupting i just want to make a couple of points here so this is the this is assuming you're not actually as you're as you're passing somebody drafting them right correct yeah so this is just completely unaided you're on the other side of the road no interaction between two riders Right, and it's also assuming the twenty meter draft zone, which is atypical. Um, it's it's a it's kind of like the worst case scenario, like the longest pass you have to make. Yeah, absolutely. So the the, okay. the forty six meters that I came up with, um, basically, you'd have to accelerate up to the twenty meters that uh, this person ahead of you is now ahead of you. Um, then you would have some overspeed by six or seven kilometers an hour, uh, and then you would go back to your steady state wattage and then you would continue uh as that speed decay uh happens you would continue another 26 meters up the road from that person assuming that they cool. don't draft from you and they're just going 40 kilometers an hour um so if you were to take advantage of drafting um that same effort would get you it would make the pass happen around two to three seconds faster um, but the critical part is that you're now essentially launching yourself at a higher overspeed. It's like a, a slingshot in NASCAR racing that you see. Um, so you're, you're launching yourself at a higher overspeed past this athlete. And until you reach that steady state, you're going to go further down the road. Um, so you're now 53 meters up the road from where you would have been under your normal steady state riding conditions, which is about 4.8 seconds. Uh, so that cool. means the difference between the two is 0.6 to 0.7 seconds. So each time you do the pass, you're saving 0.6 to 0.7 seconds of drafting versus completely non-drafting. Um, and I want to point out here too that the non-drafting effort is what the pros are actually subject to because they're not allowed to enter the draft zone period. Uh, age groupers are allowed to pursue uh, and to make the pass by 
slingshotting by using the draft zone, but pros have to do this other effort. Um, so that's the advantage that essentially as age groupers, because we're not very good, <laughs> they make the rules easier for us. Um, sure. But that's uh, that's the difference, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 seconds. But in general, uh, that big effort is going to put you almost five seconds up the road from where you would have been otherwise. A more realistic or maybe a more average way of looking at it is if you're only increasing your power output by 10 watts, which isn't a superhuman effort, um, but it's, it's a way to, uh, to get past without absolutely killing yourself. And if you're trying to pass 300 athletes, um, then you're not going to want to do 380 watt efforts, um, 300 times, because that will just make sure that by the time you get to the the run, you have nothing left in your legs. You might have a great bike split, but, uh, that will be it. Um, yes, absolutely. I was going to say, I was going to, you know, put my coach hat on and say that <laughs> if you're listening to this and I'm coaching you and you're holding 240 Watts for an Ironman bike leg, and then you're, you're putting out 380 Watts to pass multiple times. That is not a good race plan, guys. <laughs> do not, do not do this. This is uh this is just some, this is just some math to illustrate a point, but I think the third case is, is way more relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, this is a more typical effort and, it's uh, essentially the 250 watts versus 240 watts, which means you're getting a slower pass, but you're also able to get a more natural um, impact of the draft. So you're not putting in that much more physiological effort, but uh, for what you gain is essentially 35 meters up the road. Um, and that's cool. 10 meters or 10 watts extra um, gaining you uh, an extra three and a half seconds, 3.1 to 3.5 seconds uh, per pass. So that doesn't sound like a ton, like it, it moves you up the road, definitely. But if you consider an Ironman event where you've got 1,500 to 2,000 people, um, if you're a terrible swimmer and you have to pass 1,500 people, <laughs> then that times three seconds, that's 4,500 seconds. That's more than an hour. Um, that's crazy. So if you were to tell someone, yeah, you could save an hour off your bike split, um, I think most people would be pretty happy with that. That is a lot of time to save. Um Realistically, though, uh, you're not you're not going to come out of the water last and be able to catch up to the first place person. Uh, so, what what might be more typical of a race is maybe 200 athletes pass, and I think there's there are probably a lot of poor swimmers but strong cyclists out there who have done a 200 athlete pass race. Um, so that's that's something that I think is entirely possible. Um, but 200 athletes times uh, three seconds that's 10 minutes, like cutting 10 minutes off your time by legally passing people uh is a huge that's amount. crazy yeah and i think yep. most... like how, how hard do you have to work for 10 minutes in a, uh, 10 minutes off your bike split in a race usually pretty hard oh yeah it'd be a quite substantial increase in power more than just 10 watts for that um the just passing those athletes and that's a totally manageable effort and it's something that i think a lot of people put in even more than that extra 10 watts when they go to do the pass. So it's, it's something that's completely within the realms of possibility for a lot of people. And um, yeah, it just, it illustrates that you're, you're not cheating, you're not drafting, but you are using the rules to their full benefit. hundred um, percent. And I think as well, you should, right. That's, that's the way this, uh, that's the way this uh, competition is structured. And you brought up a point last time we talked about this, that, uh, in a in a lapped course race, this this effect could be magnified that much more because you might you know you would be you would have more opportunities to pass to pass people that are congested in a multi lap race uh, than you would in a in a single lap race. 
Yeah, actually, that's that's a really good point. Um, so, and was it, your point, Andrew? <laughs> well, thank you for bringing that back up because <laughs> I had totally forgotten about that right now. Uh, but a great example of that was uh, Iron Man Chattanooga last year. Um, and there were that's so it's a multi lap. I think it's a two lap race there. Uh, I think so, yeah. But that particular race, what made it even more interesting was that it was uh, the, the swim was canceled. Um, so they had massive thunderstorms the couple days leading up, and the river, um, which having seen the river, not not the cleanest river, so I think I wouldn't have been too disappointed. I've but swam I in it. It's, it's, yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun swim actually. They um they the the year I did it, they they canceled the upriver swim, which is the best op- possible option. Yeah, <laughs> I think they did it again this year too because because uh, of the heavy rain. So. Just a quick side note, um, what actually happened was they, the river was so fast that uh, if you were to just float, you would have done like a 50-minute or 40-minute swim uh, because it's a downstream swim. Uh, they, I, can, I can get behind that. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people could. Uh, the only problem is if you miss the swim out, you're basically going to end up in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> So that's uh, the one challenge. But I, I heard estimates that uh, if they had have allowed the swim to go on, the top swimmers would have finished in like 20 minutes or under 20 minutes for a full Ironman distance swim. <laughs> nice. Um, Nicely done, guys. So anyway, that aside, they did a time trial start where they were basically releasing people every couple seconds. Um, the pros, they gave, I think, two-minute gaps. And then it was 10 seconds, they w- would release three athletes or two athletes um, in the age groupers. So the effect of this is actually that you're now spreading out um, a lot of people that would otherwise be at a very similar point in the racetrack. So uh, when you're when you're coming around for the second lap, um, so we were following Cody very closely in this and we were trying to give him splits wherever we could. Um, he was passing a lot of age groupers and it was just a constant stream. It wasn't like there was a couple big groups where you know people of similar efforts or similar abilities bundle up but it was uh just just a just strung out so he was having to dodge people who were passing other people and we were watching some of this uh on the the iron man coverage which um i think has been really interesting actually the last couple of years or last year where they've had all the the facebook coverage um but we were watching on this just hoping that someone wouldn't pull out with without looking and, and hit him but uh he would have been able to take some advantage of that um but the the caveat to that is that he now has to be cognizant of people pulling out, uh, which makes you less inclined to um, uh, to go fast next to someone, right? You're going to give them more space. You're going to pull out sooner um, because there was such a large speed differential. So, sure. so there was some advantage, but the psychological impacts, like if you can predict what everyone's going to do, you would have a massive advantage. But because people are unpredictable, um, he he took it pretty cautiously. So it. it actually might have been more of a detriment where he was the first pro coming through. And as a result, um, that was the first instance that people had to be aware of someone significantly faster coming through. The other pros following him might have had more of an advantage because people are now saying, oh, there's someone behind me who might be a lot faster. Maybe I should check. Um, But anyway, so very interesting case study for for that kind of effect. But um, he probably benefited a little bit from it, but I would say his competitors probably benefited more. Um, Interesting. But uh, yeah, he actually set what would have normally been a course record time there. Um, I think he was only a minute faster than the next fastest bike split, um, which also would have been a course record. But of course, the swim was canceled. So it's kind of, it's not really a fair comparison. So 
Uh, but anyway, very good performance from him. Um, but very interesting to see that that kind of dynamic happen just because of how the race played out with the the time trial bike start. Yeah, and I wonder too if his position would change because if you're, you know, if you, especially if you're one of those folks who, and I haven't seen Cody's position recently, but I'm pretty sure he's fairly low head for that kind of number. Um, and if you're used, you know, if you're the first pro, you're just following the moto. Um, you're not, you don't have to really look out as much for for obstacles on the road other than you know natural road hazards. I wonder if his head position would have changed from having to pay attention and dodge all of these age groupers too. Very good question. And for anyone listening, your homework is now to go back and watch the coverage for <laughs> Iron Man Chattanooga. Yeah, and look at Cody's head. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they can report back to us and we can talk about it in the future. Cool. Um, so I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there, Andrew. Unless you have anything else to add to this discussion, I think there's there's definitely fodder, um, well, obviously in the aerodynamic side, but even in the drafting side of things, to have follow up conversations on this. Any thoughts? Oh, yeah, I could talk about it all day, um, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if there's if there's any questions that people have and just specific things that you want to know about drafting or the impact of it, uh, we're definitely happy to take those on as future questions. We did actually have uh, one user question, uh, actually an athlete that, <laughs> uh, that I used to work with, and uh, she wanted to know if it, what our position was on uh, on farting or the legality of farting um, or passing wind if we're going to be more delicate uh, if someone is drafting you what the what the rule book has to say about it and what the ethical implications of that uh, of that course of action would be so <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's take this as a serious question um, and in terms of uh, propulsion, <laughs> if you were to get uh, some forward momentum, um, it would be almost negligible. Um, it's not like every time you fart, you lift off your chair. Um, at least I don't. So <laughs> yeah, um, you have a you have a medical <laughs> problem. I think that <laughs> I think uh, a triathlon is the least of your worries at that point. Yeah. So um, yeah, you're not getting any any advantage there. Uh, as to the person following, um, what I actually did my master's re research on, I can't believe I'm talking about this. Uh, but I'm it was, very uh, curious. Combustion. <laughs> uh, it was uh, modeling combustion and mixing of uh, two unmixed, like an unmixed oxidizer and fuel stream. Um, so you're, you've got a fairly turbulent wake behind you. Um, and that means it's really good at mixing things up. So, the the concentration drop of the gas um, is is fairly rapid. So unless someone is like right up there, there's not really going to be any any impact. Um, you know, as nice as it would be to kind of give someone a hey, you should back off kind of warning uh, in terms of uh, well, just that gas. But uh, yeah, it's it's not going to make it back to them likely. Um, just because everything mixes up so intensely there. Um, so that's, uh, that's probably the most useful application of my master's research so far. <laughs> that's an amazing answer, Andrew. So I thought, you know, uh, obviously this, this question was posed as, in, as a joke and uh, I thought I'd throw it out there kind of in that same, in that same spirit. And you gave a legitimate engineering <laughs> answer to that question i uh i thought we'd just have kind of a laugh at it but uh there you have it guys feel free to fart on your bikes because um 
because of the the turbulence of your wake, chances are the person following you, even if they're fairly close, is not going to smell it. Green light. That's right. So, so with that, we're <laughs> gonna. <laughs> so with that, we'll sign off for today. Um, I'm Michael of X3 Training. You can learn uh, more about what I do at x3training.com. And I'm Andrew from Stack and Four Eyes, and you can go to either of our websites. So that's uh, Stack Zero, S-T-A-C-Z-E-R-O.com, or uh, Four Eyes is the number four followed by I-I-I-I.com. And uh, you can check out their power meters and heart rate monitors and whatnot, or you can come buy a trainer for, from us. And uh, we've actually got a 50% discount on our Halcyons right now as part of the acquisition where getting rid of our inventory and, and moving to Alberta. So it's easier to sell it than to move it. Yeah, which is a ridiculous deal on a, on a top-of-the-line smart trainer, folks. So everyone out there, go uh, go buy yourself a Halcyon if you don't already have a smart trainer. And if you do, uh, two is better than one. That's right. Yeah, we always encourage people to have two or more trainers. <laughs> right. Well, thanks very much for tuning in, folks. And uh, our next episode will be an interview. Um, with uh, We actually sat down with uh, Nathan Killam, a professional triathlete out of uh, British Columbia, uh, a little while back. And uh, we'll post that one up after uh, after this episode. Thanks a lot for joining us. 